Hi, I'm Rick Schwartz. Buenos dias, world. I'm Marco Went. Welcome to Amazing Wildlife, where we explore unique stories of wildlife from around the world and uncover fascinating animal facts. This podcast is a production of iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance, an international nonprofit conservation organization which oversees the San Diego Zoo and Safari Park. Hey, Rick. So, do you remember back in the summer when we did that episode about nocturnal wildlife? Ah, yes. Good old episode six. That was kind of a special episode we did to kick off the nighttime zoo celebration, right? That's right, amigo. And we got, I got to say, some pretty good feedback from people, you know? Everyone enjoyed the way we traded fun facts back and forth, and especially because it was about nocturnal wildlife. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And if I remember correctly, we had a lot of fun recording that episode, too. Yeah, so... Are you thinking what I'm thinking? That even though binturongs aren't penguins, we should still talk about them? Uh, no. (laughs) Okay, so probably the other thing about the episode, right? We should do another episode like before, where we trade fun facts back and forth, but this time all about penguins. Yeah, man, exactly right. I love it, I love it. And especially since we just talked about the polar opposite of the penguin last episode. Huh? Polar bears, Marco? Polar bears and penguins are polar opposites. They live on opposite poles of the Earth. Oh, man. (laughs) Sorry, not sorry, my friend. It's one of the best ways for people to remember that penguins and polar bears don't live together, no matter what TV or movies might lead you to believe. All right, all right. I guess that's a very good point. And seeing as we are warming up to talk about some cool birds. (laughs) Really, you give me a groan for polar opposites, but you're going to go with warming up and cooling down, huh? Rick, I mean, we are talking about birds here. Man, I am in the zone. Anything could happen. That's true. (laughs) Well, anyway, seeing as we are warming up to talk about some pretty cool birds, I wanted to make sure everyone listening knows that not all penguins are found on the South Pole. Or, maybe it's better said this way, many species of penguin do spend their time on or around Antarctica, but there are also a lot of them that don't. Excellent point, Marco. In fact, if you come to visit the penguins at the San Diego Zoo, you will see the African penguin, native to the southern coast of Africa along Namibia and South Africa. Ooh, Rick, we're really getting to the facts now, aren't we? Yes, we are. Well, wait one second, though. Let's waddle over to the viewing area where we can see the beach. <laughs> you like that? Yeah, yeah sure. Thank you. <laughs> you know what? Maybe our audience will be able to hear some penguin noises during this episode. All right. Lead the way, my friend. All right, everyone. Buenos dias. Here we are. Early morning at the San Diego Zoo, and the penguins are out and about. And being here at the beach, viewing the penguin habitat, it really reminds me that most people usually see the ocean from land, from a boat or or even flying over in a plane. Now, obviously, penguins rely on this amazing aquatic habitat for life. But did you know this about our conservation hub? You know, what we see of the ocean from the shore, from ships, and even from the high-tech underwater expeditions, it's just a, a tiny slice of the world underneath the waves. Oceans hold habitats that are themselves these underwater worlds. I mean, think about swaying kelp forests, right? Or sunlit coral reefs, thick beds of seagrass, the darkness of the deep sea, and so much more. I mean, marine plants, invertebrates, fish, and of course, birds and mammals all rely on each other in this complex undersea web. And they're all dependent on healthy oceans to thrive. You know, they really affect a lot of communities, a lot of habitats around the world, I gotta say. 
You bring up a good point, Marco, because it's one of those things where I think some people might have their favorite aquatic animal or marine life that they see when they're at the beach or at the zoo. Yeah. But you bring up that point where it's this huge ecosystem. It makes up the majority of our planet when you look at percentages. And not only is it its own huge ecosystem, but then there are a lot of human communities and coastal wildlife and coastal ecology that really relies on everything the ocean does and offers. Oh, no, totally. And, you know, when we think of all the hubs, right, that we're representing all around the world, in my opinion, I'm sure you can agree, Rick, the ocean just is probably the one that really affects all those hubs out there. And there's so much diversity, right? There's that word again, guys, diversity. Yeah. Right? So many interesting animals, organisms, plant life underwater. So it's really amazing that we get to talk about this hub today here at the San Diego Zoo. It's a bright, beautiful day. Oh, and by the way, guys, if you haven't figured it out yet, yeah, we're here at the San Diego Zoo over here at Africa Rocks. We hear the waterfall cascade behind us right now. The penguins are out and about. I see turtles swimming. It's yeah. It's really a beautiful spot, right? It is. It is. And I love the fact, too, that you're talking about with the ocean and all the diversity. We do have African penguins here at the San Diego Zoo. And a lot of times we think of penguins. We think of the Antarctic. Well, I want to, if you will, Marco, entertain me here. I'm going to dive into a few fun facts <laughs> about the different species of penguins. Okay, okay. I like the word choice, dive. For example, Marco, you mentioned in the beginning of the episode here that not all penguins live at the South Pole or the Antarctic. So there are a total of 18 recognized species of penguins alive today. But out of that 18, only two can truly call the Antarctic their home. And three other species, three additional species, use the northern tip of Antarctica for the breeding season. So when you do the math, that means there are 13 species of the 18 species of penguin that are living somewhere else in the world. That's crazy. Right? And knowing that then, you might think that they're all probably close to the Antarctic, like the African penguin friends that we have here at the San Diego Zoo living in that southern portion of Africa. And if you do think that, you aren't entirely wrong. There are some penguin species found in the southern coastal areas of South America, Australia, the Falkland Islands, and New Zealand, and just to name a few of the many locations. But here's the fun one. There's always an exception to the rule, Marco. <laughs> no, totally. <laughs> the exception to the rule when it comes to penguin species living in and around or near or within proximity to Antarctica is our good friend, the Galapagos penguin. They live on the Galapagos Islands. And for anybody listening who doesn't know, those islands straddle the equator. They're right off the coast of Ecuador. And therefore, they are the only species of penguin known as a species that lives in the northern hemisphere or north of the equator, nowhere near Antarctica. <laughs> and technically, if they're in the northern hemisphere, closer to the Arctic, the North Pole. But by quite a ways. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm loving it. Honestly, you know, I got to say, it, it's a little embarrassing because I am a bird guy, right? I've yeah. been saying that this whole season. But we were just talking about it the other day that I actually never worked with penguins before. I'm already learning a lot, by the way. Excellent. So, Excellent. so this is great for all the listeners. You know, we're learning as you're learning, guys. And when I think of penguins, my immediate thought goes like, why do I love birds so much, right? They're such a fascinating organism. They've mastered the air, the skies, of course, land. When I think of an emu or a cassowary. <laughs> And of course, the oceans as well. And the thing that I think about the most when I think of birds are feathers, friend, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, right? it's a very iconic thing when you think about a bird and, and all the nuances of feathers, right? I mean, 
they're so diverse, right? Right. And here's the thing, real quick. I have a feeling I know where you're going with this. I can't wait to hear what you have to say okay, about okay. penguin feathers, but I'm going to interrupt real quick because I want to make sure that our audience is following along and just how diverse feathers really are before we get into penguin feathers. So you have just on a regular flighted bird, right? You have primary feathers on the wing to give them lift. You have the tail feathers, you have contour feathers, you have the downy feathers for insulation, all these different things. But then you look at something like different pheasant species or even the peacock, and they have this huge plumage that's just for decor, but also for flirting with the ladies and everything else and, and you know, <laughs> trying to challenge others. Right. But that's a feather structure as well. And then we get to the penguin friends and they're flightless and they're pretty much black and white. So Marco, what do you got for us on feathers for the penguins? No, I know. And honestly, I tried to condense this, friend, because there's so much to talk about <laughs> just with feathers alone. As Rick was talking about, you guys, I mean, just close your eyes. But if you're driving, don't close your eyes. Yeah, don't just close your eyes. Your Think a condor wing, right? Think oh, how wow. a hummingbird flies. Think about some of the adaptations Rick was just talking about. I mean, some of the reasons birds have feathers for camouflage, like an owl, for hunting like a falcon, or staying warm or staying cool, or like you mentioned, attracting a mate like a peacock, right? But when it comes to a penguin, these are birds that have decided, you know what? flying maybe it's not for me, right? I mean, you think about all these species, one thing in common, they're attached to this ocean hub, right, that we're talking True, about. Yeah. They have this deep-rooted connection with the sea. And at one point, this species needed to decide, you know, am I going to fly or am I going to swim? And when you think of all the birds in the world, penguins, by far, I think, are the best swimmers out there and divers. And when you think of those feathers, you guys, the standard feather that we all think about, and those filaments, as Rick was saying, the primary feathers, or those feathers that we talk about that are on the flight the wing for the bird species to take off and gain flight. For penguins, they're different. So they're not designed for flight. They're tightly compacted. So for instance, penguins have more feathers than any other bird on the oh, planet. Wow. It's literally about 100 feathers per square inch I found out the other day. 100 feathers per Can square inch. Can you imagine inch? that? So it's funny because I never thought of that. But yeah, I mean, you think of condors and they're huge, right? So they must have yeah. all these feathers. Right. But because the feathers on penguins are so small and dense, oh, Right? Wow, tightly compacted, lot. right? Now yeah. you think about an animal like a sea otter or, right, or a platypus, yeah. kind of the same idea, right? Yeah. Tightly compacted hairs. And these shiny little feathers are uniformly overlapping the penguin skin. So penguin feathers are highly specialized. They're short, they're broad, they're closely spaced. And as we said, this helps keep water away from the skin, right? And of course, those tufts or downy feathers, you can call them the really white fluffy feathers. You know, those are really made yeah, for that yeah. insulation, right? So I think that's great. And one other little thing about the feathers I wanted to add. Everyone knows about a molt, or maybe if you're not familiar with a molt, you know it's like give it's us, like give shedding, us a lowdown, right? Give you us know, lowdown, like yeah. it's like for instance, you comb your hair, a hair follicles cast it away, right? right? You find it there, you grow a new one in place. Birds kind of do the same thing. They're shedding feathers throughout the year, depending on the species. Some do it more than others. A warmer bird like a macaw has a specific time in the year to do it. Some raptors do it spacing out the whole year because they need to hunt to fly. And with penguins, they need to swim, you guys. So they actually go through one very extreme molt, except for the Galapagos. Galapagos penguin, the unique penguin it is. They're in the warm weather. It goes through too. But what these penguins need to do, they need to eat a lot of food to build up these fat reserves before they go to this molt. They're dropping all these feathers. They're not eating, really. They're on the shore getting through this mold, and then eventually they can grow into these new feathers and then get back into the ocean and do what they do best. I mean, 70% of their life, a lot of these penguins are in the water. Yeah. So feathers are a key thing, I think, for penguins and that aquatic lifestyle. Right? Yeah, exactly. And to go on just a little further, too, I want our audience to know that, you know, feathers are made of keratin, so it's yeah. a protein. Right. So that's a lot of energy for them to, A, get rid of them all at once, pretty much, and then grow in 
a whole bodysuit, and you just talked about how many there are per square inch. That's a lot of feathers to grow in a short amount of time. Exactly. So they really do have to bulk up for that molt. And if you come to the zoo, you can actually see our African penguins go through a molt as well. They look real scruffy when they're losing those feathers. <laughs> they look, you look like, ooh, that one doesn't look okay. <laughs> and they just kind of sit there, and they're just kind of pouty because they can't go in the water. But it's a natural part of what their body goes through every year, whether at the zoo or out in the wild. Totally, man. I thought that was an awesome penguin fact, right? Yeah, right? The feathers. All about well, the feathers. The feathers are a cool adaptation. Thank you. And speaking of the cool adaptations of penguins, this is an adaptation I read about a long time ago about geese, which would swim in cold water during the winter. Okay. And then later, when we got penguins here at the zoo, yes, I've been here long enough that we didn't have penguins here when I first started, <laughs> I was reading that penguins have this adaptation as well. And it's one that I wish I had in the winter. I know, I know, San Diego does not get that cold in the winter, but for those of us that are used to the warm weather here, when it does get cold, we have to put on socks and slippers. Well, many penguin species, of course, as we talked about, do live in very cold water, and some even spend large amounts of time on ice. So keep in mind, they're standing barefoot on ice with no boots on <laughs> or socks or slippers. So how does it work? How come their feet don't freeze? So get this. Penguins, along with other birds that swim in cold waters, have the ability to regulate or control the blood flow to their feet. This allows them to use their body heat to warm up the blood that goes to their feet. It is essentially, for lack of a better comparison, it works like a built-in heat radiator for their feet. But that then led me to wonder, why doesn't the colder blood that's going back into the body cool the penguin down? And that's because they have special vessels that reduce the overall heat loss. So it's not even an issue at all. It's really amazing. Wow. Like a central air conditioning system right. with, with a heat option as well, right? Exactly, I love that. Wow. exactly. So it goes right into all these different little adaptations different species of penguins have to specialize and live in the environments and the extremes some of them do live in to survive and reproduce and keep living. I love those. Not only like those physical adaptations, but behavior adaptations too, right? That many birds do to try to survive in either hot or really cold climates, yeah. right? All right. Now, I'm really excited about this next one, friend, that I wanted to talk about. Okay. It's all got? about the beak. Oh, uh, right? yes. Oh, man, I love bird beaks. And this is a conversation. <laughs> I know, I'll try to calm down, Should you guys. But down. as I'm talking, I'm seeing a red tail just flew by. The little finch is cruising around. And the one thing I always tell guests that I love to do with kids, a fun game, you guys, next time you visit the San Diego Zoo or the Safari Park is guess what the bird does by the size and the shape of the beak. Oh, good right? point. Yeah. That's a really cool game. I mean, you can learn a lot. Think about a duck versus a hummingbird yeah. versus a cassowary, right? Or a flamingo right? is another good example, Ooh, that's too, right? that's a really good one, right? Or a flamingo. I mean, as Rick was saying with the feather, this is also made of keratin as well. So again, not if you're driving, but kids, look at your fingernails and touch your hair right now. And if you're going to touch your sister or brother's hair, ask your permission <laughs> first. But right. it's all made up of the same thing, you guys. It's really cool. And with a penguin... Think about it. What are they doing, right? What are they eating, you guys? I'm sure you said fish, right? Maybe even krill as another example. Now, maybe even crustaceans. So depending on the shape of the beak of a penguin, it can vary a little bit. Now, as I was mentioning, every bird's beak is designed to do. And penguins have a variation depending on the type of prey that they eat. So I mentioned fish, squid, 
crustaceans could be an option. Now, generally for a penguin, the beak or the bill tends to be long and thin in some species that are primarily the fish eaters, which makes a lot of sense, right? And they're shorter and stouter in those that are mainly eating krill. I think like a shrimp-like organism as well. And what's also really cool, now there's some fun photos on the San Diego Zoo website. You can see a picture of this. The mouth of the penguin, it's lined with these horny rear-directed spines. And this aids them in swallowing that slippery prey so they can jump out of their mouth and then trying to eat, which I think is really cool as well. With also a little hook at the end of that beak. That is like, friend, the perfect leatherman for a fisherman, <laughs> right? I mean, don't right? you think? Well, absolutely. And I think you bring up a good point. The beak has certain structures to it. Everything about the penguin beak has a reason. So if you do go to our website and check out those pictures, you also see there's certain grooves in there. And I was reading not too long ago, the grooves in the penguin's beak help them use their beak then when they're swimming at high speeds sort of as a front-end rudder. So they can utilize that to help with their directional steering, I guess, yeah. because they're so fast and agile in the water as they chase these fish. And then it turns around and also, like you said, it's a perfect leatherman or, or tool for them <laughs> to grab onto their prey and not lose it. Right. Well, I think we would be remiss, honestly, Marco, if we did not also mention something that's very important and near and dear to our hearts, which is the conservation side of penguins. Now, one thing we talk about here a lot at the San Diego Zoo, because we're a part of it, is the African penguin conservation and how zoos, not just the San Diego Zoo, but zoos across the nation, across the world, really, have worked very hard in conjunction with an organization called SANCOB. SANCOB stands for South African Foundation for the Conservation of Coastal Birds. They do a lot of work for coastal birds there in South Africa, including the African penguin. So just a fun little background. It's kind of funny. The fun fact I'd shared earlier was how penguins can stand on that cold ice for long periods of time and their body can regulate the temperature with no problem. African penguins have a different problem because they will build their nests on the beaches. They have to protect them from the heat. They have to protect the eggs from the heat or the cold of the night. So they build little dugouts in guano or basically built up bird poop. And these act like a little adobe huts for them, protecting the eggs, protecting them from the direct sun as well. And it keeps it at a perfect temperature. Unfortunately, guano has been harvested for many years for fertilizer, leaving these birds without opportunities to make their nests. So the San Diego Zoo, along with zoos across the nation under Sand Cobb's direction, started testing different types of prototypes of man-made nest shelters. And essentially they deployed these across all these different zoos that have African penguins and let the penguins show us which ones they preferred, which ones worked best for them. Instead of us saying, oh, this is the best design here, penguin, use this. Right, right. We let them show us out of the many different designs that we all came up with, what works best. And then the top few that seemed to work best, they deployed those onto the beaches there in Africa and let those penguins then say, these are the best ones to use. And it really has made a difference. It's an opportunity for these penguins to utilize their native nesting space, even though the guano's not available, and therefore bring that population into a sustainable or at least somewhat balanced area in very trying times for the species. It's been really cool to be a part of that, to see how it works, visit the Sandcob website, and our staff go out there all the time, once a year, sometimes more, to work with them and be a part of all those efforts to make sure those penguins have a future. I absolutely love it, friend. The connectivity, for one, the idea, like communities working together and the word listen, they're listening to the penguins, right? right. They're deciding on their own. Yeah. Uh, there's a term we use here at the zoo and safari park called choice control with our wildlife that they have 
the ownership of their environment. They decide what works, what doesn't work. I absolutely love it. And I just actually got back from a Mexican AZA. It's called the Asociación of Acuarios y Zoológicos de México. It's a mouthful, I know. But, friend, <laughs> there was a crew that I wanted to point out in the Guadalajara Zoo, if they're listening. Shout out to all the work that you guys are doing with penguin species. It's a community, and this is what this is about. Because as we talked about in the beginning of this episode, oceans are so important, folks. We call it a blue planet for a reason. And oceans are connected to us all. So shout out to all those people, especially in South Africa, our friends out there doing all that amazing work. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I couldn't agree more, Marco. You know, here I am talking about South Africa and Sand Cobb. You're talking about your friends in Guadalajara and the people you met when you were there in Mexico. It is one of those things where it's so important for people to understand that the conservation for penguins is not just us. It's not just one location. It is a global effort. There's a lot going on. And I really think it's cool that everyone is coming together to work for these wonderful birds. Oh, friend, I absolutely love it. And I think wrapping up our penguin episode on African penguin conservation is perfecto. <laughs> well, I completely agree. But I do want to say, as we start to wrap this up and before we go, I want to take a moment to remind everyone listening that you don't have to work for a conservation organization like the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance to participate in conservation or, or any of the other places that we mentioned. Oh, yeah, that's absolutely right, Rick. I mean, anyone can help penguins or any other species out there right from their own home. You can do a beach cleanup yeah, to help keep the oceans healthy, right, as an example. Or, or even a park cleanup to help prevent trash and litter from getting into streams and eventually flowing into the oceans. Yeah, so even if you don't live near the ocean, you can still participate in helping because, yes, creeks flow into rivers, flow into the ocean, and it's all connected. And another big one people can do is fundraising. Anyone can help raise money for conservation and donate it to organizations that are out there doing the work. As our listeners probably already know from us covering our conservation hubs as a nonprofit conservation organization, the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance does important work for wildlife all over the world. Oh, man, it really is an awesome organization to be part of, I got to say. It makes me proud. And speaking of conservation hubs, amigo, I yes. think we should head up to our reptile department for our next episode. What do you think? Ooh, let's see. Reptiles here at the zoo. They live just about everywhere. Give me a hint what you're thinking about. Well, there are local species for one, and they've had a lot of challenges. We have some here at the zoo, as a hint, but okay. we're also planning on sending some back to their native habitat. Ooh, let's see. Well, if they're local, that means we're coming back to the Southwest Hub. They are under the care of our reptile team, and we have some, but planning to send them back to the native habitat. One more hint. All right, one word. Pond. Pond. Oh, pond. Oh, I know now. All right, everyone. Be sure to subscribe and tune into our next episode in which Marco and I dive into a pond instead of the ocean to find out more about the amazing and sometimes overlooked pond turtle. I'm Marco Lent. And I'm Rick Schwartz. Thanks for listening. For more information about the San Diego Zoo and San Diego Zoo Safari Park, go to sdzwa.org. Amazing Wildlife is a production of iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios. Our supervising producer is Nakia Swinton, and our sound designer and editor is Sierra Spreen. For more shows from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Listener.